Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. What's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, it is great to be here. It is Monday, January 22nd, 2018, episode 140 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Ken Flo, what a time to be alive. Super Bowl 52 is set. The New England Patriots have been invited, motherfuckers. I'm sorry. (laughs) Dude, that game was ridiculous, first of all. I I was nervous the whole time. The Patriots only had the lead like 3 nothing. Uh, and then after that, it, it was all Jacksonville, and, and I was getting very nervous. I was like, that's it. It's over. I don't know what to do there. Jacksonville yeah. was playing a hell of a game, and then all of a sudden, Tom Brady, uh, third quarter, fourth quarter, uh, basically just took over. Um, uh, unbelievable uh, place there from Amidola as well. Oh, um, just an all-around uh, amazing team effort. Those dickheads took out Gronk with that Ooh. cheap shot. Um, yeah. I was kind of pissed off about that, so we deserved it. 
How's it that? is tricky, that Gronk play, and I do feel for these defensive players in the NFL, Kenny, because if you go low, you know, you're tearing his ACL apart, right, in some of these situations, and if you go high, you need to obviously go shoulder and not helmet to helmet, but it's hard for the defenders in this day and age, but you're right, man, Tom Brady obviously down the stretch, and Danny Amendola, I mean, that guy's my hero, 80, just making big play after big play in these huge games, but for the Jacksonville Jaguars, man, and you know, I, I feel for their fans today because they, they played a really good game yeah, for, you know, two and a half quarters. Bortles was awesome. They had the right game plan to beat the Patriots. They were shoving it down their throats. But you have to play to win, right? And they, they're not playing to win down the stretch. And I think you have to criticize the coaching staff, right? They had the Patriots on their heels and they just start running the ball and they didn't stay aggressive through the air. They, they probably took away Bortles' confidence a little bit with that. Mm. And you know with the Patriots, even when they don't play well, they're going to get theirs. Like you got to get to 25 or 30 points when you right. play the Patriots. So I don't care that you're up 20 to 10 in the fourth quarter. you got to make it 27 to 10. And I just knew when they got conservative offensively that eventually TB12 is going to get his. So uh, I feel like the players maybe are getting criticized today when the coaches should be the ones on the Jacksonville side that sort of get the bulk of the criticism. Obviously, New England made a lot of plays, but yeah, nothing fun about it. And then, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles with a massive win in the NFC title game. Paul Felder is going to join us next week. He's got a fight with Ally Aquinta coming up. We're going to talk about that. But Paul Felder, Kenny, and his brothers are massive Eagles fans. Mm -hmm. And Paul actually is calling the fights in Belang, Brazil on Super Bowl weekend. He's going to be in the air for the oh, entire no. Super Bowl. Uh, so we're trying to amend that. I told him if he could just shorten the trip and come to Miami he can come to my house if right. he wants to watch it with my mom who is a diehard Pats fan who is probably going to just give him hell the whole time but the invitation is there to the Irish Dragon if he wants it but uh, obviously a big weekend in Boston for the UFC uh, I got to sit in on the radio broadcast for the Celtics Kenny for like nine and a half minutes of the second quarter and they played like the worst quarter they've played in two and a half years you know <laughs> just one turnover after the next it was your fault radio guys yeah i mean that's yeah. essentially what what sean granny was saying on the radio so uh but it, it was fun to be there in the garden and the fighters delivered and a lot to get to obviously today full recap of ufc 220 calvin cater was a big winner he was he is scheduled to join us today ray longo back for his minute uh the greatest living american brian stan later in the show as well ken flows picks for charlotte we got to stop wasting time let's get to headlines Headlines. It's time for headlines. I have some very urgent and important breaking news. Headlines. On the John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, UFC 220, Mio Chich versus Nganu, and Stipe gets it done here, Kenny. 25 grueling minutes, mental toughness off the charts. And there are a lot of different ways you can go with this fight, but I am so impressed with Stipe. And the understanding, Kenny, of what it takes to not only beat this type of challenger who can hit you with one of four knuckles, right, barely touches you clean and he can concuss you, right, just yeah. otherworldly power, but the understanding of what it takes to win a five-round championship fight in mixed martial arts. And Stipe, from a conditioning standpoint, from a skill set standpoint, was prepared to do just that. In my opinion, Francis wasn't, and Stipe stamps his legacy as one of the greatest heavyweights we've ever Without a doubt. And as you go back into the heavyweight division, you know, if there's one division where you can get away with having a singular skill or one set of skills that 
um, is kind of far superior to everybody else. You, you could be successful in that division. You look at Randy yeah. Couture, who was primarily a, primarily a, a wrestler. Um, you look at Brock Lesnar, who pretty much was primarily a wrestler. Stipe Miocic has a, a variety of skills, as does Cain Velasquez. The, both those guys can strike and wrestle as well. Um, and, you know, for Francis Ngannou, you can't go in there with just one skill these days. You know, not against uh, a modern mixed martial arts fighter like Stipe Miocic. I was really happy to see Stipe fight smart and not just brawl. He picked and chose when he was going to stand in the pocket. He Every single time he did do that, he was sure to get an angle. He seemed to be the quicker guy. He just shut down Francis Ngannou's um, offense from Basically, the second round all the way to the fifth, Francis just never had an answer for what Stipe was going to do or trying to do. Um, just a, amazing heart by the champ, Stipe Miocic. Um, I, I was blown away by the performance. His chin, again, on full display, oh, yeah. eating those shots, you know, dangerous shots to the temple, some to the chin. Um, Stipe was able to survive, and we knew that about Stipe. If you saw his fights against guys like Junior Dos Santos, um, you know, his fight against Mark Hunt, uh, we knew he was going to show heart. Um, I just, I just liked uh, his approach in that fight. That, that really was the difference. His strategy. Now, a lot of people will say better to get Francis Ngannou now while he hasn't had the time to round into a primed mixed martial arts yeah. fighter, right? Some people are saying Ngannou's done, which I think is totally absurd. I think he's going to come back better, and I think you're going to see that this guy eventually does work his way back into if not a heavyweight championship setting, certainly into an eliminator-type fight to give him a chance against the elites. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Ngannou one day and become a But for Stipe, Kenny, right, I just felt like every time there was a moment in this fight uh, where he needed to do something, he did it. You know, whether it was go for the takedown at the right time or stay busy in the clinch to avoid a stand-up. I mean, Herb Dean only stood them up, Kenny, one time, and I think Stipe deserves a lot of credit for that. Now, mm -hmm. it's easy for me to sit here on Monday morning and say, and this is my opinion, that with almost any other referee in there, I think you have a pretty good chance of saying that he would have at least twice stood them up, right? Because I, I did think there were some opportunities where Stipe maybe wasn't doing a ton, and there might have been an opportunity for a referee who either isn't as experienced or just was getting a little bit anxious because there wasn't so much action. I was surprised Herb only stood them up once, but I felt like every time he commanded Stipe to do more, Stipe did so right away, even though, you know, he was just totally exhausted. I, I agree with both those things you said. I, I think if you look at, um, other referees, um, may maybe aside from from uh, Big John McCarthy, I, I think we would have seen a referee who would have stood them up. Uh, I agree, yeah. um, and but I also agree when Herb Dean did ask for that action, Stipe was right there, throwing short yeah. shots, throwing hammer fists, staying busy, throwing knees to the body, um, and more importantly, not letting Francis get up, hanging heavy on that neck, heavy, uh, ha uh, hanging heavy on the back as well. It, Francis just didn't have an answer. He didn't have the ability to do that and do that efficiently. He was utilizing a lot of power, a lot of strength, which down the line just hurt him. I mean, I don't even know if he was even trying to throw anything. I don't know if he threw anything more than like five strikes in the fourth right. and fifth rounds. Right. Francis Ngannou was not prepared to go in and win a 25-minute championship fight. And I think there is some criticism to be levied because of that. I know he was turning around quickly. I don't know... Why he went to Paris for two and a half weeks, I don't know what led to that. I don't know if Fernand Lopez wanted that to happen to bring Francis back after what was a monumental win against Alistair Overeem back on December 2nd. Mm. But it was the wrong decision. 
He, all indications are he went straight from there to Boston. He was exhausted. There was a lot of promotion that resulted, right? He went to Boston, then had to get in the car and go to Bristol, Connecticut. Kenny, you know that drive pretty well. Nothing easy about it, right, going there and back. And I just felt like when I sat down with Francis on Thursday, you know, he was wearing it a little bit, Kenny. Yeah. And I just think this is a guy who's been pulled in a lot of different directions. And instead of staying at the UFC Performance Institute and, and working on his cardio and his grappling or anything else that might have helped him against Stipe, um, you know, this guy was jet-setting. And I'm not saying he was on vacation. He was still working hard. He was still training. Um, but I, I think he, he paid for that decision, maybe even wasn't ready to fight Stipe, uh, yeah. a guy on his level. I don't know, but disappointing. No, no th those are all factors, dude. Those are all factors. Those are all things that fans don't realize that when you're in a championship fight or when you're the champion, that's another reason why it makes it so difficult is all the media obligations, all the things you got to deal with. That's, when, that's why when you look back at what Conor McGregor did, um, especially in that fight against Chad Mendes. He was supposed to fight right. uh, Aldo for that one, right? Then Aldo went out. He fought Mendes on, on last-minute on, on last replacement. He was traveling all over the place, cutting weight down to 145 pounds. He did all those things and still pulled off the win, and he had like a torn, you know, something in his knee. Right? right. So that things like that, when you hear stories like that, when you hear stories about Max Holloway retaining his belt, you know, again, against another guy like uh, Jose Aldo after, you know, traveling all around, doing all these mini obligations, it is not easy. It is not easy. We all know when Ronda was the champ, how she said people think they want the belt, but they, they really right. don't. They, they better be yeah. ready for uh, a whole lot of responsibility. With all that said, based on what Francis Ngannou uh, showed on Fight Night, skill-wise, just skill-wise, yeah, maybe he looked a little tired, but he's got to be better than that. That's not the reason he right. lost this fight. Um, Stipe Miocic, just the more skillful fighter, which I knew heading into it, I just thought he was going to get caught early in the fight based on how he was fighting the last few fights, was not the yeah. case. Stipe was smart to stay on the outside. As soon as he went in, he was taking uh, Francis down, uh, and Francis just did not have an answer for it. Longo texted me. He's like, did the cardio equipment break at the PI or what? You know, <laughs> um, but a, a huge win for Stipe and certainly don't want to take anything away from him. I, I guess I just felt like in Ghana, dude, I mean, you're sitting there getting ready for a 25 minute championship fight. And, and this Cameroonian destroyer, Kenny, after three minutes, he's done. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, he had maybe could have landed a punch over the final 20, but you kind of felt like the fight was over after four minutes. So it was a little bit anticlimactic, yeah. but big win for Stipe. Nonetheless, third consecutive Heavyweight title defense, no heavyweight had done that previously. Perhaps Cain Velazquez will be next. You know, we talked a lot about a, a win over Ngannou being a great way to stamp this heavyweight reign. But, Kenny, right, few wins would do more, I would think, for Stipe uh, than to take out a guy in cardio, Cain Velazquez, who most people, I think, believe is right there in that discussion with uh, with Stipe as the greatest UFC heavyweight ever. Without a doubt, dude, and, and I think that right now, based on what Stipe has done, uh, he has established himself as the best uh, heavyweight so far. When you go out and beat a guy like Cain Velasquez, that's it. The discussion is over. The discussion would be over. Yeah. If he goes out there and beats Cain Velasquez, um, yeah, you got to have him as the best heavyweight uh, of all time. And, and uh, you look at his skills and what he's done, the competition, and um, it, it's unbelievable what Stipe has done. <clears throat> And it's amazing team with Marcus Marinelli and everybody else. And you just feel happy for these people. We get to know them and you feel really happy for Stipe and his pregnant wife, Ryan, and everybody else. Um, that brings us to Daniel Cormier. 
who said all week long, Kenny, that not only was Volkan Uzdemir not on his level, but he just said, dude, I'm going to smash this guy. Like, you don't understand, right? I am just going to dispose of Volkan Uzdemir properly, and it's probably not going to take me very long. I thought DC fought a near-perfect fight here, Kenny, and uh, deserved the bonus. Just a a dominant effort from the soon-to-be 39-year-old UFC light heavyweight champ. Yeah, I thought Daniel um, really... uh in mixing it up with his wrestling, his striking on the inside. I thought he hurt Vulcan a, a few times on the feet there. But it, DC had me scared a little bit. In, in the beginning of the first round, just trading. Um, it's exciting to watch, but when you're watching your buddy in there trading with a heavy-handed fighter like a Vulcan, Vulcan Uzdemir, yeah. um, I, I was very nervous uh, for him. Um, once he settled <laughs> into his feet, once he settled into his rhythm, it was just, it was all Daniel Cormier. Uh, Vulcan just did not have an answer for anything that DC wanted to do in there. Um, heading into the second round, you, it, it seemed like just everyone knew Daniel was going to go out there and get the finish. Um, it was an excellent performance from him. Uh, the, the pressure, the, the, the pacing, uh, DC was ready and he fought like he had a chip on his shoulder as we knew he was out there to, um, establish himself as the champion. I, I think that there was a part of DC where he felt like, you know what? I have the belt, but I don't feel like I'm the champ here. I lost my last right. one. I need to go out there and prove to everybody who Daniel Cormier is. And I, I think he did a great job of doing that. And he did what he was supposed to do as a minus 350 betting favorite. But you're right, Kenny, standing there and trading with someone in Volkan Uzdemir who had dusted two guys in 70 seconds combined coming in uh, is a scary proposition, especially given all that's at stake with yeah. D.C., right? And we're going to soon start talking about a potential super fight between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic. I mean, there was so much to lose here for D.C., right? He had yeah. his kids in the building watching live for the first time and uh, – I guess he just knew what was going to happen and knew that Volkan Uzdemir was not yet ready nor on his level. And for Henry Hooft, I think this one, Kenny, has to sting, right? 0 for 3 now, at least, uh, in trying to prep guys to beat Daniel Cormier. I also feel like for Daniel, he learned a lot with the second Rumble Johnson training camp. You know, he said before the rematch with John Jones that his training for that Rumble rematch wasn't where it should have been. Um, because he felt like there was a clear path to victory. So you maybe wondered mm-hmm. coming into this fight where there was an even clearer path to victory uh, mm-hmm. than against Rumble, against a guy in Volkan Uzdemir who just was not on the level as we saw this weekend. Um, but Daniel had a great training camp and put himself in position to put forth this type of performance uh, to his right-hand man, Bob Cook and Ro Sanchez and Javier Mendez. You know, they really got one of the greatest of all time here. And Kenny, we talked a little bit on the broadcast, Fight Pass and other places about everything that is this guy, Daniel Cormier, one of our dear friends and what he brings to the table as not just a fighter, but as a color commentator and as a promoter and as a father and as a guy who pays registration fees for wrestling for kids that aren't his and a guy who buys $5,000 worth of toys and puts them in a truck because a toy drive hasn't worked out the way it should and he doesn't want that shit publicized. You know, this is a special, special human being, future UFC Hall of Famer, and it was nice for me to see our home city, Kenny, embrace him to this extent. Because I know Cormier at times has liked to be the heel a little bit because there's a big WWE fan in him and heels move the needle and people buy pay-per-views when heels are on them. Uh, It was nice to see Cormier be the good guy here in a big sports city and and produce the way he did this weekend. Uh, Without a doubt. You know, Daniel Cormier is the guy that, uh, you know, every fan should be looking up to, every fighter should be looking up to. This is a guy who who does it all uh, and does it all very, very well. 
um, his responsibilities as a father. This guy's going to every single football game, every single wrestling practice, uh, you know, ballet for his daughter. I mean, he, he's he's such an active dad. Uh, and then you're like, oh, well, this guy's got to train three times a day for uh, a championship fight. He, he's the champion of the world in light heavyweight weight class. Um, he's traveling all over the place. He's doing commentary duties. He's doing UFC tonight with me. He has so many balls up in the air. It, it's ridiculous. Um, uh, so for, for Daniel Cormier to succeed at this level in, in, in a variety of things, uh, it is so impressive. And then when you know the guy on a personal level and how yeah. genuine he is, uh, Daniel's one of the greats, period. Then let's talk about all the adversity that he's dealt with in his life and how he's turned that into a positive and how he's become right. such a good human being, how he's a two-time Olympian. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's one of those special, rare individuals. Right. People forget that this is a man who lost a child, an infant, at one point in time. You know, um, So... I texted him. I was like, I don't know if at this point, like, I get the DC logo tattooed on my body. Like, I don't even <laughs> know how to pay the proper respect at this point in time. And some listeners might be thinking, man, this is like a UFC play-by-play commentator. What, you know, I would have sat here and celebrated Volkan Uzdemir's win in a similar way, even if I don't have the personal relationship, right? But it's just incredible to see DC accomplish everything that he has, Kenny. And and since you guys started working together on UFC tonight, right, to see everything that his professional life has entailed, I mean, you've had a firsthand look at it. So as far as Daniel Cormier now moving forward, three toughest fights in his career, right? Heavyweight Grand Prix, 25-minute war with Josh Barnett, 25-minute loss to John Jones in the first meeting. But the fight that everybody talks about historically for D.C., October 3rd, 2015, UFC 192 against Alexander Gustafson. Toughest fight of D.C.'s career. And that is is the obvious fight on paper that would be next for Daniel Cormier. But lurking, and I brought it up on pay-per-view, is this super fight against the heavyweight champion, Stipe Miocic. Now, I spoke with D.C. this morning. And anyone who knows him doesn't have to talk to him to know that he doesn't want to step on Cain Velazquez's dick to get into this fight with Stipe. But this is a big fight. This is a fight that is winnable for Daniel Cormier, in my opinion. This is a fight that is appetizing to Cormier if the money is right. And I'm not sure, Kenny, that this is a fight that is any less dangerous or easier than a rematch with Gus. It's an interesting point. Uh, listen, I think uh, Alexander Gustafson, as you said, is the toughest fight in the division for Daniel Cormier right now. Um, I think that's more likely for me. Um, I would not like. I would not like to see that fight against Stipe Miocic. I I don't know at this point with Daniel creeping on thirty, being at thirty nine years old to fight at heavyweight against someone like a Stipe Miocic. I don't know, man. I I mean. This is a heavyweight striker, a, a guy who can do a lot of things. And, you know, can Daniel strike with Stipe? I think, you know, there's aspects of his game where maybe he might have a speed advantage to a certain extent. Is he going to hit as hard as Stipe? Is he going to be able to knock out someone like Stipe? Yeah. I, I don't think so. I mean, if Francis couldn't do it, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't think so. And I think to eat heavyweight shots from someone like Stipe Miocic. And if Daniel's going to switch things up and go to the wrestling, well, Stipe can wrestle as well. Um, is Daniel right. a better wrestler technically? Yes. Uh, does he have better entries? I don't know. Um, so uh, it just concerns me. When I see Daniel plant his feet and do this and, and just kind of try to lean right. back to avoid shots, 
you, you can't do that against someone like Stipe. He, he can get away with that against maybe Vulcan, um, but I would not want to see him at this point. In his career. If, if, if you're talking about Daniel Cormier at 34, 35, absolutely. Right. Let's see it. Um, at this point, I don't think Daniel needs to do that. I like that you're keeping it real. It sounds to me like you feel like the Gustafson fight is an easier proposition. Yes. For, Not for easy, but I, easier. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the the betting lines would reflect that, Kenny. I guess I just see everything that this weight cut entails, right? For him sure. to have to make 205 pounds again at 39 years old mm-hmm. is no picnic at all. I see the fact that Stipe weighs in at about 246 pounds, and I think DC would probably be in that range as well. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I don't know. I, I just feel like certainly from a financial standpoint, DC it's a huge fight. would would want that. And I think to, to stamp his legacy with a chance to become a two division champion. Um, but he was a little bit vague with me as to which fight was more difficult, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I just think it's interesting. I do think that Dana White is interested and I do think that Dana is going to move to make that fight potentially. Wow. What's a bigger pay-per-view fight for us, Kenny? Is it Stipe Cain Velazquez or Stipe Daniel Cormier? You know, I, I don't know the answer. I don't know what the internal metrics would say about a returning Cain Velazquez against Daniel Cormier, who has been the far more active party and a guy who's been all over TV for the last five years. Yeah, and listen, as much as Cain Velazquez de- deserves that shot, I'm a huge Cain Velazquez fan, have been for a very long time. Um I, I, I think that um, I don't know if the if the promotion can rely on Kane to show up on Fight Night at this point, just based on right. everything he's been dealing with. I hope that is not the case, but it, it becomes hard for it becomes very difficult for a business to to say, oh, here's a guy who's been injured for all these years, let's book a date with him. You know, it 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 really is. Um, a, a tough thing, and and Daniel Cormier has been one of those guys, even with his injuries, that you know for the most part he's going to show up on Fight Night. He's a guy you can rely on. Right. So, um, tough decision there for for both Daniel and and the UFC. And then just sort of putting a bow on the two title fights, big picture, p- big picture. You saw two contenders, challengers that, at least in my opinion, just appeared not to be ready for prime time. We talked about Francis Ngannou and where he may go from here. Mm-hmm. Still going to be a big fight next. Still going to be a top six guy for Francis, and that's very exciting. But for Volkan Uzdemir, right, um, the blueprint, I think, is there right now. This is a young fighter, at least in terms of his MMA miles, but a lot of work to do for Volkan, I would think, as he tries to to get himself back to where he got here very quickly in the UFC. Yeah, absolutely. And these are kind of the fights that, you know, when you face that high-level opponent, when you face the champion, um, you go back and go, okay, wow, I, I got a, I got a lot of work to do. I got to get my wrestling in order. I got to get my jujitsu uh, better. I got to get my get-ups uh, much sharper. Um, I got to be smarter when I'm on my feet. I got to move more. So they're going to look back at that tape, and, and both Francis and Vulcan uh, will improve from this fight. I, I think there's nothing more motivating uh, and revealing than a loss. Um, and with both yeah. these guys, just the way that they handle a- adversity and, and how calm and composed they are typically uh, in a fight, they show a lot of toughness. I think there's some positive you can take from that fight as well uh, to keep them motivated, to keep them pressing forward um, and uh, still young in, in their careers, both of them. So um, a, lot, a lot of positives from this fight as well. Very curious to see how it did on pay-per-view uh, and how much maybe a guy like Francis Ngannou in a relatively short amount of time was able to uh, to produce a significant number. I think Cormier has become a top three pay-per-view draw in this company while while Ronda has stepped aside, you know, um, but he hasn't necessarily produced a big number without John Jones. The reason I bring it up is for Francis Ngannou, I think 
he should say, look, give me a three-rounder as a co-main event on pay-per-view, right? Like, mm-hmm. you could headline, and Gano into Black Beast, throw him on FS1, throw him on five. I mean, there's some huge fights fight. that I would love to see. But don't yeah. you think for Ngannou, uh, you kind of avoid a five rounder here at all costs? Like, just give me a three, just give me a three round contract. <laughs> not, not against a wrestler. You don't, you know, don't yeah. put him in a, uh, against a wrestler in a five round fight. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what's next for those guys. All right. But now joining us as we continue the UFC 220 recap, another of the big winners. He was part of the fight of the night against Shane Burgos. But in his TD Garden, in his home arena, Methuen's Calvin Cater produced the biggest win of his professional career. Uh, Calvin, John and Kenny here, man. Congratulations on a massive win this weekend. This has got to be a, a pretty good Monday morning to wake up as Calvin Cater, I would think. Yeah, what a, what a great day, man. I'm pumped, uh, especially after seeing the Patriots play Sunday, uh, Sunday during yeah. the day, take on the W. It's a good, good day to be a fan of New England. So, well, it's good to talk to you, man. Obviously, we got to sit down with you, Dominic Cruz, and I did on Thursday, and your confidence really sort of took over the room, man. I mean, how how good did you feel making that walk? It didn't seem like nerves or the moment got to you whatsoever. Yeah, what helped with the confidence always is preparation. You know, we had a 10-week camp, and uh, I feel like me, along with my two team, teammates having that amount of time to be working together, studying his film, putting together game plans, and then uh, not having to go too far to, to fight. It all just worked out. Everything on paper was great, and uh, to go and execute the way we envisioned it, um, it was special. Have you gone back and watched the fight? Uh, and if so, what was your assessment of it? Yeah, I saw it a couple times. There's, honestly, there's a lot of things that um, I, I like to improve on. I think I could have made it a lot easier for myself. Um, I, I was making it a little difficult for myself until the third round. I landed a big shot, and that's what got me out of there. But, um, you know, the first round I was happy with. Second round, I got to give to to Shane. I think he came back, fought strong. And uh, we had that crowd going, I thought, in the start of the third. And to catch him early, and it, it, the place exploded after. It was awesome. Huh. Um, so, you know, that, that jab was just amazing, man. It, it really was stinging and keeping Burgos on the outside. Was that something that you knew heading into that fight that you were going to use, or, or did you feel it out during the fight? Um, that, that was something I, I'm trying to use better in all my fights. You know, stay working behind the jab. I think a good jab sets up all your other shots, and uh, I believe that's what kind of helped me land that right hand in the third is because I was throwing a lot of singles, uh, single jabs in the first and the second, trying to put the two behind it. And finally, in the third, it found a home when I, I, I changed the distance, came in a little deeper, landed the heavy shot. As I fell back, when I realized he was, in, he was off balance. That's when I you know, sat down and, and ripped uppercut, landed, and just tried to follow up while I had him hurting. Yeah, it wasn't one uppercut. It was two very nasty uppercuts, man. Very precise. Um, awesome finish. So, you know, between you guys, when you guys were heading into this fight, I said, these are two real potential superstars in this division you getting the win now this elevates you tremendously who do you want to fight next where does this put you in the division you think yeah huge win i I believe a lot of people are talking about you know the winner of this is you know somewhere in the top 15s and i'm excited to see where it lands but regardless uh, i kind of put all that into my my manager uh tyson chartier at top game i'm happy to have him on board i feel like that's uh you know he's strong in those areas finding the right fights and um i'm just glad that um you know, I have this opportunity in front of me, and whoever they put, I'll be ready for. I just want to concentrate on the, you know, the training, the eating, uh, all the important stuff. As the athlete, let my manager go, find who he wants us to fight, and and let's do it. UFC featherweight Calvin Cater with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. 
I know when we spoke Thursday, you just sort of were hoping for an opportunity to prove yourself against these guys. I know you've taken your training to that requisite next level, but did you prove anything to yourself on this big stage against an undefeated guy as a plus 185 underdog that you could go in there and, and deal with some adversity and still put away a very talented guy? Yeah, for sure. I'm continuing learning every fight. And uh, that was my first finish, I think, at 45. So definitely a little boost of confidence knowing I can get the job done. I've had a lot of guys hurt. Uh, haven't quite been able to finish the job. I think uh, this one put a lot of work behind it, man. Ten-week camp. Um, I feel like we're just improving every every time we go out there. I'm excited to see who we, who we have lined up in our sights next and go out and execute on him too, make an example. I, I'm, I'm, I'm new in this division, but... Uh, I'm, I'm gaining ground quickly, and I plan on, on continuing to do so for, uh, for whoever they put in front of me next. So you made your UFC debut on two weeks' notice last July against Andre Feely. Mm-hmm. You were a plus 300 underdog. I know your buddies made a lot of money that night, so I got to ask. And we had a handicapper on our show last week who advised a play on you. Um, any of the buddies cash in on the plus 180 this weekend, kid? Yeah, you know, you better believe it, but uh, I just hope that they don't come knocking if it ever goes the other way because these guys are getting a little crazy for me. I'm glad they didn't tell me till after the fight because they might have messed with my nerves more than the hometown crowd. All right, I'll leave you with this. I know you said to me also on Thursday that the mental focus of knowing that your next fight is going to be in the UFC against a killer is something that has helped you a lot. Now you just beat a guy who was all the rage in Shane Burgos. You're going to most likely be the guy with the number next to your name fighting a name that even if not a household name to the casual fans is a, is a, is a big name fighter. I mean, how excited are you to face, you know, the Cub Swansons of the world going forward? Hey, every next level demands a new you and I'm ready, man. I'm growing every day. I'm excited. To, I'm excited for those opportunities. Like I said, this isn't real pressure to me. We sign up for this. Uh, I'm just going to be excited to go out, whoever it is, and see as an opportunity to go out and uh, do what I do best. We were able to show Rob Font's reaction to your win on the broadcast. Were you in the back? I know for our listeners that don't know, Rob Font is Calvin's primary training partner. Were you able, were you sitting in the back warming up, uh, watching Rob's fight? Yeah, him and Kyle as well. Um, I was oh, right, back in the beginning. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, was, I was amped to watch both those guys go out and do work. I know it was a little pressure for Kyle being first. Wanted to start us out on the right note. And, uh, and then Rob, to get that spectacular finish on a tough kid like Almeida, man, I started feeling the pressure. Like, shit, we're going 2-0 right now. I got to finish the job, you know? Yeah, uh, got to. This week. So, um, yeah, when I went out, uh, seeing his reaction out back was similar to how, how I looked when he had his finish. It's just, he, you know, I had the fight still to go, and he was already out. He was, you know, cool and calm out back. But uh, what a feeling, man. It's great having a team with you in there, the, the locker room vibe was great it was you know i really feel like we're stepping up here in new england and uh, i'm proud to be at the forefront um you know with it along with the top guys from our area uh to put our put our to put our town on the map you know well you couldn't have done more to to maximize the showcase and i know ken ken flow was a guy who was who was the number one fighter out of boston for a long time three times fought for a ufc title but it's nice for us as bostonians man to see you go in there and and seize that moment you know i feel like you're a guy that can really help take the torch and, and maybe compete for a UFC championship one day. And a lot of championship parades in Boston. You could be sure, bro, you win a UFC title. I will make sure they clear the <laughs> fucking streets for you. <laughs> yeah, my man, John. Yeah, I grew up watching Kenny too, man. Always been a fan. I had the pleasure of doing some rounds with him one time. I don't know if he remembers as much as I did, but great opportunity. I'm really excited to be surrounded by UFC caliber athletes. 
and now growing into the you know the new me that is is demanding me. I got tough fights lined ahead, and I'm ready to fill that role. And you didn't even have to call for the bonus to get it. See, buddy, great job. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thanks for carving out a few minutes for us. Congratulations on a huge weekend. Enjoy it with your friends and family, and we look forward to uh, to your next fight, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you, fellas. Amazing Appreciate fight, it. man. Congrats. Thanks, Kenny. All right, there he is, Calvin Cater, with us on the Anakin Florian podcast. Now, we talked to Shane Burgos, Kenny, before the fight, and he said their secret sauce has been training with a lot of pro boxers, mm -hmm. a lot of guys who, who Shane didn't even know their names. And I would imagine sometimes in sparring for big fights, you do spar with a lot of guys you don't know their names. So um, you had no idea you had sparred with Calvin Cater. Is that accurate or no? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, 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 he looks familiar. No, I don't know. Yeah. Man, I get hit in the head, you know. Maybe I didn't remember because he, uh, he knocked me out or something. Yeah. Uh, but uh, listen, I love his quote. He says, the next level requires a new you. And, and I love that attitude. Right. This is a kid who, who really means it, um, who continues to improve, continues to represent the city of Boston. And, um, you know, I, I was blown away. I, I thought Shane Burgos was a little bit ahead skill-wise um, heading into that fight. And, and Shane looked smooth. But it, it never phased Calvin. He, even though he was heading backwards, um, he was always keeping on the outside with that jab um, and, and just stayed calm and composed. And I think that was the difference. And Shane just kept running into shot after shot after shot, started adding up. And then once Calvin had the opportunity to take him out with that uppercut, uh, he finished the job beautifully, man. What, what a performance. And I think Burgos is going to be a problem going forward, too. I mean, how tough is that guy? Right? And I mean, a huge featherweight as well, by the way, because Calvin's a big featherweight. But, right. wow. Yeah. And just think, Ken Flo, the next time you analyze a Calvin Cater fight, now you can now say, can you know, reference. I did some rounds with him back in the day. Ha has any Don't remember a damn thing, but, uh, yeah, I'm old. Uh. <laughs> has any Massachusetts native ever won a UFC championship? I don't know. So Tisha Torres was born in, in Fall, Fall River. River. Yeah. Okay, she doesn't yeah. necessarily claim Massachusetts as mm -hmm. much as some of us would like her to. Okay. Uh, I hope you're listening, Tisha. I love you. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think Tisha Torres is, is someone who is on the cusp potentially, might be one fight away from, from a championship fight. I think mm -hmm. she's fighting Jessica Andrade actually in an eliminator, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. But – Cater, you know, we'll see. I mean, featherweight's no joke, man. And certainly there were some things that he didn't like in this fight, right? Uh, he opened with that. So there's work to be done, no doubt about it. But uh, with Calvin Cater and maybe Rob Font actually Absolutely. Uh, is closer right now. And, and, and let's talk about Rob Font for a second. Uh, the TKO victory here over Thomas Almeida. No bonus, at least publicly, for Rob Font because there were a lot of good fights and performances this weekend. But this is huge for Rob Font. This was yeah. the betting line, Kenny, that moved the most. When we did our show, Almeida was minus 175. He closed about minus 118. So that was sharp money coming in on Rob Font. And uh, he certainly made good on it. Huge win, biggest of the career, no doubt, for Rob Font. Um, Rob Font was the better striker, period, in this fight against Thomas Almeida. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, Rob, not only does he hit hard, but he was putting together excellent combinations. Defensively, he was better than Almeida. It was the same Almeida. Almeida keeps his hands nice and tight to his head and all that stuff, but he eats way too many shots. And when you get a sharp guy, a sharp striker like a Rob Font, um, it, it just was not a good thing. Almeida has to really improve his defense. He has to prove his footwork. He was never in the proper range. That was the difference, I think, for me, was that, you know, maybe uh, Almeida throws his strikes maybe a little bit more uh, 
with, with better fundamentals perhaps, but it was Rob Font who was always in the proper distance. And people ignore the footwork, and, and that really was the difference. He was always in the proper um, angle, uh, and he was just making Almeida eat a lot of shots out there, and, and you just can't do that. So amazing that you have a guy in Almeida uh, who had such a tremendous record now facing a, a couple – devastating losses in that division. I don't know where he's going to go from here. I think he should take some time uh, and just get better uh, defensively with his boxing. When Thomas Almeida walked to the octagon on May 29, 2016 to face Cody Garbrandt in that main event in Las Vegas, he was 21-0. He was a minus-190 favorite against Cody Garbrandt. Now he has lost three of four, granted, against Garbrandt, Jimmy Rivera, and Rob Font, the win in there, a finish of Albert Morales, but... This is a Thomas Almeida who was headlining for the UFC. I mean, this guy was just penciled in as a future champion. He's going to carry the torch for Brazil. And at 135 pounds in 2017 with a loss in three of his last four, you know, I feel pretty convicted in saying I know you don't always love the absolutes. I'm not sure this guy's ever going to fight for a UFC Bantamweight championship. There's just too much talent. He's absorbed too much damage, and we've seen a lot of holes that the elite fighters have taken full advantage of. John, I, I agree, man. Uh, and listen, this is how tough this sport is. When you get to the UFC, it's a whole different level. And what may work at the local and regional uh, circuit events may not work in the UFC at a high level. So don't think just because you have success heading into the UFC that that's going to carry over. You're still going to have to make those adjustments. You're still going to have to get better significantly when you get to the big show. And uh, I think some fighters forget that, um, that just because you're successful, even in the UFC, things can go down very, very quickly. Um, I mean, how many times have we seen it with, with former champions where all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're on top of the world and all of a sudden, you know, they're on they're on a prelim, you know, um, right. so it, it can change real quickly. That's why when it comes to combat, man, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Everyone else is working. You might as well be doing the same thing. So a big name will be next for Rob Font. We'll see if Thomas Almeida can make the adjustments and, and try to get back into uh, Bantamweight title contention. Low another fight on the main card. We didn't touch on pretty underwhelming affair here between John Vellante and Francimar Bajos. Kenny, Vellante told me when we spoke on Tuesday that if he had finished Francie Marbahoz, he was going to grab the microphone from Joe Rogan and do like the, the Gronk spike, right? The Rob Gronkowski <laughs> spike with it. And so I said to him, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to tell Zach Candido, right? Because he'll just blow the whole thing up, our producer. But I said, I was like, dude, like we're told one of the first things Craig Borsari told me when he hired me when you're doing these post-fight interviews Whatever you do, hold on to the microphone with your life. You can't let one of these fighters take control of our broadcast. And effectively, right. once they have the microphone, they have control of the broadcast. So, But ultimately, the finish didn't materialize for Volante. He still was able to uh, to shout out Teddy Bruschi after the fight. <laughs> uh, so that was good. But a nice win for John Volante nonetheless. And uh, he did it without Keith Trimble in his corner. So that puts a bow on the main card. But we still will get into it more because we have a very esteemed venerable gentleman on the line let's get to ray longo it's now time for the ray longo minute i want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest that's what i want the ray longo minute starring ray longo the john annick and kenny florian podcast now joining us ray longo fresh off the bye week Hello. there he is there he is not the best hair day in the world but there he is <laughs> uh, he was just holding pads leave him alone I'm getting that's exactly right. And I'm getting a haircut this week. <laughs> I was gonna say, you growing out that hey, listen, lettuce. John, I know it's the age, winter. But... At this age, at this age, I'm happy to have hair. Let me just tell you that I might this is true. keep yeah. growing at this point. 
Got well, some I gotta, uh, where, do, where do we begin? Well, I, I, I want to begin with I, nothing makes me happier than when you text me when I'm calling these fights. <laughs> so keep well, texting well. me. I love seeing your name pop up in my phone. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll remember to do that. What, what was the main text? The, uh, what was the thing? I said something about the performance center. Right? Yeah, yeah. You were it? banging on the cardio equipment at the PI. I mean, I mean, how do they show this guy, Kenny, with the mask on on the treadmill like they're building some <laughs> superhuman guy, and then he gets in there and he's got four minutes in him? How do you? I, I, I really think oh, that's the biggest takeaway, man. It's such a. I don't want to hear shit about anything. Just it's such an individual thing, and uh, what a. I don't even know what I was looking at, but you know, even for that guy to say. He underestimated the heavyweight champ of the world, I think, is ridiculous. And I, I, I think what he's actually saying is he overestimated himself. I, I just it was, that was to me, that was pretty dismal. And yet, with that being said, at any given point in time, that guy can get you out there if you stand in front of him. Yeah, uh, uh, Ray, I, I agree, man. It's crazy. I think, listen, uh, could he come in better shape? Absolutely. But I think two things. First of all. When you're not used to going two, three, four, five rounds, it's a whole different ball game. And I think it's a blessing and a curse. When you finish fights that early, you think every fight's going to go that way, even if you're facing well, someone like a Stipe Miocic, right? Exactly. But you have to know that, you know, look, it's, it's strange because I'm like, I think the word, what I was feeling was cognitive dissonance, they call it. It's like his view of himself in his head is different than what really happened. And that's where mm -hmm. the confusion came. He like you, kind of what you said, he's used to getting what he wants. So I'm saying like, I'm not going to train for this fight because I knock everybody out in the first round. And if that's the case, then mentally he's really deficient because uh, mm -hmm. that's not intelligent at all. But I think what happens is like, he had a view of himself of killing everybody. And then when he's down on the ground, he doesn't know what to do. Yep. That That's a big disconnect in his own head. It's short circuited him. You could see he just, he, he really had no clue as to what was going on at a certain point in that fight. And uh, really, really strange. I think he was thrown in there way too early. And, you know, it's just how you go into a heavyweight fight and, you know, just gas out like that. I, I don't know. It wasn't like they were in a, a Donnybrook and they were swinging and, you know, it was he took a couple of punches. I think... Stipe making a miss probably tied him out more than the shots he landed. And, and Ray, you know, this may come off as, as a little bit harsh, but I, I think there's a lot of truth to this here. If Francis Ngannou is in any other weight class, maybe like 170 or below, right? If he's a 170-pounder or lighter and he comes in with those skills, do you think he deserves to be in the UFC? No, definitely not. No, it doesn't sound harsh. And I think if he's smart, he's going to listen to this and he goes back to the drawing board and he does it right. You know, I think he was surrounded by guys that were telling him to, um, you know, how good he was and how hard he hits. And I don't know. It seemed like there was just a lack of reality. And, uh, yeah, no, that skill set at 170 is he's not getting past a local show. I mean, we've seen guys like that. They come into the gym and right. I kill everybody as soon as I hit him. You know, he's, you know, yeah. I just hope he's not like mentally that guy i hope he's got yeah. better people around him that are actually training and you know they're doing the right thing but yeah you're right it's uh that skill set i mean that you know look even with a shitty skill set like that he still has the ability because of his size right to right. knock you out which is crazy i mean he's swinging from his ass but he's, he's still you don't want to get hit by one of those right. you know so no. 
he's got to really go back and regroup. And I, I don't know if, you know, like, again, listening to him talk, I like, again, a couple of takeaways. He, he wasn't putting the blame on anybody, which I thought was good. Mm-hmm. But, like, again, I'm going the fact that he said he underestimated. He stayed with that. Like, I'm I'm really interpreting that as he overestimated himself. Not that he underestimated Stipe, but yeah. I do think in his head he thought he was getting Stipe out of there. And that's not underestimating Stipe. Uh, that's I, overestimating what he could do. I think that's you know? accurate. But it's yeah. like, do you not have eight minutes in you, right? At least give us eight. Yeah, I mean, exactly. he only Come gave on, us four. You, they, got the, they got that mask on. They, t- they look like, <laughs> like Rocky, whatever, with, uh, you know, the Russian. Drago, dude. yeah. They had him on the first climber. I mean, and, you know, and to get in there and do that, I'm like, that's the loser to me is whoever was training that guy like that. That was not good. They had to see what? that somewhere. They had to know that. Can you just give me 60 seconds on Stipe, though, because I know how much you respect him and I know you know him a little bit because of the bomb between him and Chris Weidman and John Volante. And I just think he deserves mounds of credit for systematically just destroying this guy and and, you know, beating a guy who looked to be one of the more frightening heavyweights that, that any of us had ever seen. Exactly. Here's a guy that didn't get I don't think he got the proper press for this fight. They were building up in Gano. That seemed pretty obvious. Uh, here's a guy they should rally behind. He stands for the right things. He's middle America. He's just that hardworking blue-collar guy, the way this country was built, one brick at a time. Why you wouldn't get behind this guy is 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 mind-boggling to me. The guy's a great dude. You could see, you know, uh, you know, he, he took time to, you know, he, the, the important things where he's having a baby, how exciting that is to him. And I don't know. I mean, to know that guy is to really love him. He's a great dude. Uh, he brings such nice energy in. His wife's sweet. You know, he's just got a good thing going on, man. And, yeah. like, again, you know, Volante goes out there this far. It's not a huge camp. Marcus does a great job with all of those guys. They're never going to get the recognition they deserve for whatever stupid reason that is. But they do a great job. He's a, like, again, he's a grinder. He's a blue-collar guy. He was the underdog in that fight, you know, because people are out of their fucking mind. <laughs> and uh i don't know yeah it's crazy i don't know yeah it's just uh you know based on what you know based right. on this is they they were they were selling another illusion that just got derailed again yeah i would have loved and i'm proud crazy. of the sales pitch of course uh so i guess guilty as charged but uh you know i well, oh, wait, i wish I we had had you I on because I, I missed you i missed you last week so i didn't i don't even know but uh <laughs> well no no look, no, look, no i mean just in general from from a promotional standpoint right i'm the guy who after he knocks out over him oh, i'm yeah, saying yeah. Age, i'm yeah, saying but... aging stipe miocic trying to right, to build right, up the right. fight but yeah. no your points are well taken and we, we didn't have you on last though, week John. we all we all buy into it we all do well, and, and we yeah. didn't have you on last week, which would have been nice to hear your thoughts in advance of this fight. Um, but I digress. Um, Want to get to a few other things. And by the way, it's nice that, that Stipe at least has that Modelo commercial, right? Um, I'm not sure if the UFC were the ones that put that, put that together. But now that Modelo commercial gets released and he's still the champion, right? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, when Anthony yeah, Pettis yeah. was on the Wheaties box, uh, by the time the thing was on shelves, he no longer had the belt. So uh, so that's at yeah. least good. Yeah, um, yeah. So the reason we did not have you last week was because you were traveling back from St. Louis. Uh, Matt, the steamroller of Frivola fought there. It, it did not go as planned. Obviously, it was a one-minute fight, a knockout loss to Polo Reyes. Uh, your thoughts on, on what went down or didn't go down uh, in the 3-1-4 a couple weeks ago? 
Well, I'll tell you, it was certainly an exciting fight for the time it lasted. But, uh, yeah, just not the smartest game plan. Uh, we're going to regroup. He's a great kid. That's uh, his first loss. So, uh, you know, I've had some nice conversations with him already. I'm really excited to just get him back on track because I think he's a great kid and he belong, He deserves to be in there. And you can see he's a he's ballsy. Somebody was going down. It just happened to be him. And, like, again, I'll you know, the game plan – the, the, we were a little off on a couple of things. Uh, there's, there's not the smartest fight, but he shows he's got heart and he's got balls, and that's that's a really good thing to work with in the future. And uh, I'm excited for him. I think he's going to rebound, and you're going to see a, a more intelligent fighter the next time. Ray, and one of your guys that looks like uh, has a tough fight ahead of him uh, in Paul Felder, uh, ally Quinta Felder in April. Is that what's going down in Brooklyn? Man, that's what's going down, man. I was with Al last night. That's that's a tough fight, but I think that's going to be a crowd pleaser for everybody. Oh, yeah. Definitely a lot of respect for Felder. Tough as nails, great tie boxing, very dangerous. Uh, that's a that's a really good fight, man. That's a, that, that's a great fight. I just want to keep Al healthy and get him to the fight. That's the most important thing. And, uh, you know, so far out of the gate, he looks good again. So I'm excited for him, and I think – he knows he's going to put on a show, and, you know, it's going to be a great fight for Brooklyn. Yeah, just keep him healthy if you can not push that's him too That's it, healthy, man. That's right? that's the key with everybody at this point, you know. Yeah. Good point. All right, I'll and let I, you let go me, with let, this. Let me shout out to DC, too. Another guy that I think, what a tough motherfucker this guy is. He took some big shots. That He's no kid. I think, again, he handles himself great on the mic. Yeah, you know, let's let's embrace DC. Forget about this other guy. I don't care if he takes twenty lie detector tests. Who cares yeah. at this point? Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. This is a good guy, and man, he's just tough as nails. And I think he does the right thing. He's always complimentary and victory or defeat. I don't know. I like the yep. guy, man. I thought it was a great fight for him again, um, coming off of what he came off in. No, just all the bullshit he's got to deal with with this guy is just horrible. Yeah. No, you're right, and I'm glad you had a chance to shout him out because he's one of the greatest ambassadors this sport has ever seen. All right, I'll let you go with this. So John Vellante said one of the issues in his training camp was that he didn't get to work with Chris Weidman essentially at all because of the thumb injury. I did get to see Chris. Uh, that's a nasty scar on that thumb, Ray. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for 2017 or 18, <laughs> I mean, but it was done in 17. I mean, did, have you ever seen a scar like that? <laughs> I thought he was, was trying out for a Frankenstein. Movie. <laughs> I mean, did you see that? Someone thing? took a hatchet I mean, and just opened up his thumb with, you know. I mean, Kenny, who is this doctor? Microscopic. Yeah. What is that? that who is this is doctor? Yeah, I don't know. I think his name is Dr. Baron von Frankenstein. <laughs> I tell you, you know, crazy. I, what a crazy scar that is. Yeah. I think what happened is a Bostonian operated on it. <laughs> 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 yeah, Bostonian from 1723. <laughs> they're still using well, that guy's. They're still using uh, that guy's notes in the operating. Room. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. Well, uh, we 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 joke about it, but we hope he gets better, obviously soon. And I know you'll have your eyes on on Jacare Souza and Derek Brunson this weekend. Potentially, an opponent could emerge out of that. I think the Jacare Weidman fight is one that the the promotion would like to book potentially. Um, all right, my man. Well, we'll let you go. Jacare Brunson, you got any lean either way? Souza's like minus 175. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, so Brunson. Souza's. What, he's the, the favorite? Yeah, slight favorite. 
I'm gonna go with so I'm gonna go with Jacare. I think he okay. rebounds off, and uh, I'm gonna pick Sosa in that fight. All right, man. Good to see you. Good to hear you. Have a good week. We'll uh, we'll catch up with you next Monday. All right, guys. Thanks a lot, man. That's Thank right. The Ray Longo minute every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. You knew he was gonna give it to uh, to Francis Ngannou pretty good. <laughs> Um, so Longo's got a weekly segment. Uh, Brian Stan actually now is on every month. Let's get to take a stand. It's now time to take a stand with the All-American Brian Stan on the Yannick and Florian podcast. That is the greatest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. That's a, that's an actual picture, by the way. If they think that's Photoshop, you're wrong. <laughs> You guys can't drop that on me at the beginning it's of the so keep a straight face. Well, and Ben and Danny and Janko, thank you guys all for that. Kenny and I had never seen that before, so our reaction <laughs> is, is as organic as yours, man. Anik actually, Anik actually did that eagle sound. That screeching eagle sound was actually Anik. He, he... You guys have to send me a copy of that Photoshop. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Oh, well, every time you come on, we're trotting that thing out there. Um, all right, so now joining us for his monthly segment, Take a Stand. Uh, he is not a realtor, folks. Okay, can we yeah. just get that out there? He is not a real estate agent. He is not a realtor. He is the COO of First Key Homes LLC. Uh, greatest living American UFC veteran, former color commentator, Brian Stan, Philadelphia Eagles fan. It's got to be a pretty good Monday morning walking in as the COO when you're born and raised in Scranton, PA. I'll tell you what, and when I've got a chief technology officer who uh, – is relocating from Minneapolis to move to Atlanta, and he's a Minnesota Vikings fan. Ooh. And we've got a team dinner tonight, and he'll be wearing an Eagles jersey at that dinner, <laughs> and I'll be loving every second of it. All right, well, I want to table the NFL stuff for a second because I know your okay. time is short, and I want to make sure we get your thoughts on UFC 220, but we are doing a Super Bowl bet as we did last year, so we'll get to that in a minute. But what Stipe Miocic was able to accomplish this weekend against Francis Ngannou. I mean, what a way to set the record. Really a special fighter here and, and obviously a massive win and weekend for Stipe. I'll tell you what, it, it was an exceptional performance. And I think one of the things that, that maybe got overlooked because there was so much to digest from that fight is uh, his ability to not only withstand the damage, but that first round, Ngannou used a lot of energy, but it also took a lot of Stipe's energy. And I think the fact that Stipe was able to absorb that, deal with that pace, and then start to execute takedowns that take a lot of energy on a guy as strong as Francis Ngannou and just drive through for five straight rounds, a guy at that size in this weight division, that's special. It's the reason why people can't defend that title. It is exceptionally harder for men of this size to do this sport at the elite level. And Stipe doesn't have just elite skills. He's got elite-level heart where he can push past a certain threshold in a state of exhaustion that is going to make him very, very difficult to beat going forward. Brian, couldn't agree with you more, man. Um, obviously, you talked about that title, how hard it is to defend it. Um, even harder to do in the heavyweight division. Uh, Stipe Miocic, the first guy to defend it three times. If he never fights Cain Velasquez, is he the greatest heavyweight fighter of all time? I, I think so, yeah, absolutely. You know, he's... He's beaten Junior Dos Santos, who owns a win over Cain Velasquez, and he, he's beaten him. And, you know, in their first fight, a lot of people argued that he beat him. He's beaten greats like Mark Hunt. I think when you look at the body of work that Cipe has done, he's been the most well-rounded, athletic, find-a-way-to-beat-you-going-around-your-strength-or-through-your-strength type of guy. And he's got exceptional athleticism, cardio, not to mention the fact he's done all of this with a full-time job. 
people don't like us to talk about this yeah. when we're actually working for the UFC. Yeah, it's amazing. He's done this with a full-time job as a firefighter. Look, sign me up. If, if my family is burning in a building, a house, I don't care anyway. <laughs> please let Stipe be the guy that comes rolling along <laughs> to help them. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I did ask him on Thursday. I was like, dude, how many shifts are you working at the fire department every week? You know, and he didn't give me a straight answer necessarily, but he has shaved down that schedule, thankfully. So as we spin it forward for Stipe, and I think historically it is a little bit difficult to put him into context. I would say Kane was always like a bigger betting favorite, and I feel like people always felt like Kane Velazquez beating him was just this daunting task, whereas maybe people don't feel that way about Stipe, but do you feel like Daniel Cormier moving up is the next fight? Do you feel like Cain Velasquez is the next fight? What do you think will be this fourth defense here for Stipe? I think it's going to end up being Cain. And I, I think the reason why people can't view Cain in that light is just we had never seen a heavyweight do some of the things that Cain Velasquez was able to do at the pace he was able to do them. I mean, he had right. a couple of performances that were exceptional performances, historical performances for a heavyweight. You know, his fight against Junior Dos Santos, to do what he did, you know, that was probably a more overall impressive performance than maybe one single performance we've seen from Stipe. But Stipe's yeah. consistency and his growth and his ability to not be injured as, as often as Kane has and then have performances like we saw Kane have against Verdum in Mexico City, that's what makes Stipe the better guy, in my opinion. And that's why I think he'll be a betting favorite against Kane Velasquez. Now, erase all of that. If Daniel Cormier chooses to move up a weight division, he can win that fight. Yeah, I do believe that, and, and Stipe can as well. But, boy, I, I would think that Daniel Cormier may even be a favorite in that fight because wow. he fought so well against heavyweights when he really didn't know much about this sport. Right. That's a good point. 13-0 and 0 as a heavyweight was Daniel Cormier before moving down. All right, final thing on UFC 220 then. In terms of DC's win over Vulcan Uzdemir, I mean, man, did he smash this guy. And he probably said 400 times during fight week, dude, I'm just going to smash this guy. He went out and did exactly that. I guess he picked the right fight bride to, uh, to have his kids in the crowd for. He really did. And I, I thought that mid-round one, when DC abandoned his clinch first strategy and he just went to straight kickboxing, I thought he looked phenomenal, and I thought he showed an out-kickbox Vulcan Uzdemir. The, yeah. the, spiraling, the spiraling downward for Vulcan happened after Daniel rocked him on the feet with kickboxing and then went to his wrestling, which was smart, right? Finish him on the ground, avoid taking those big shots, because some of those shots, an inch or two left or right, could have really hurt DC. But I think that it was overlooked how good Daniel Cormier's striking has gotten. And if you go back and look at his last fight against John Jones in those first couple of rounds, you know, they were close rounds, but you could see some marked improvement in Daniel Cormier's ability to close distance, put together combinations, utilize kicks, land big right hands and left hooks that, yeah. that are really going to be interesting if he does rematch with Alexander Gustafson, who put forth one of the most beautiful striking performances in light heavyweight history against Glover Teixeira. That is a fun aspect of DC's game that has significantly improved since they fought the first time. Yeah, very interesting. I did speak with DC this morning, and we talked a little bit about what's a, a tougher fight for him, Stipe or Alexander Gustafson, and we talked about it a little bit off the top of the show. But, all right, I want to table that for a second and get to the Super Bowl stuff before we let you get back to uh, to the primary gig. By the way, uh, finals are in the can, right? I know you're chasing that executive MBA. Um, 
I couldn't pass those tests. How were final exams? Okay for you? Oh, it was it was a challenge, right? There's a lot of people in my cohort who uh, they have jobs that don't require as many hours as mine do right now. Yeah. And so taking finals in finance, accounting, statistics, oh, marketing, terrible. Uh, there was a lot of quant style finals that I had to take. And look, they're yeah. ongoing, right? I'm already in four new classes right now, and uh, it has been challenging. It's been enlightening. It's been humbling. And I'm working with people from around the globe to where I'm learning an incredible amount about myself, about business, about marketing, uh, about yeah. accounting and finance in areas that I really I wanted to grow in. And so yeah. it has been it's been worth every penny and every minute of time so far. But it is definitely not without its challenges. And he does all of this without the benefit of Adderall, ladies and gentlemen. It is absolutely uh, <laughs> incredible. All right, I'll let you get out of here on this. Kenny's like, what are you doing? You're trying to get us thrown off Fox, you fucking idiot. All right, final thing, because I know you have to go. The last pro football championship in Philadelphia, 1960. I know the Phillies won a World Series title in 2008. I don't know how much that moved your needle. What would this mean for the city to – exact some revenge for that 2004 Super Bowl to beat Brady and Belichick and, and parade on Broad Street and everywhere else there in downtown Philly, man. Look, it, 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 here's what it means. You know, for the city, it would be huge, right? Um, I don't live there. I'm not going to pretend like I do. For yeah. me personally, as, as a man who has sat in a million Buffalo Wild Wings amongst obnoxious <laughs> fans to watch one screen and beg them to show the Eagles game, who has watched every down of every game outside of the season that I was in Iraq for, uh, I will, honest to God, I will shed tears if they're able to win this Super Bowl. I will cry. <laughs> and, you know, another piece to it was, you know, Travis Mannion, who was one of my closest friends in the world who was killed in Fallujah, was a huge, huge Eagles fan. And wow. so it'll be, you know, it'd be one of those things that's pretty sentimental and, you know, in the back of my mind as well. He's not here to watch this, but... Uh, if he's got any sway with the big man, because I feel like huh. the big man huh. is very much still making us pay for what we did to Santa Claus. And so I'm hoping that <laughs> Travis can maybe sway his opinion a little bit. I mean, we already lost Jason Peters. We lost Carson Wentz. Enough. Yeah. Give us a break. Tom Brady's life is the most perfect life that's ever existed on this planet. <laughs> can he have one bad day? Please. One bad day is all I'm asking yeah. All right, well, well, maybe it'll be February 4th, no. and if you do have suggestions, yeah, Ken Flo and I are hoping that doesn't happen. If you have suggestions for what our Super Bowl bet should be, many of you will remember Stan was brought in by Dan Quinn, head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, a couple seasons ago to be a coach. So he does have some Falcons fan in there, so we did a Super Bowl bet last year. Brian had to get his legs waxed, and he did make good on that bet. So if you have suggestions for the 2018 bet here, Eagles are getting five and a half points here, Bri. Uh, we got to get creative here for the 2018 version. So I, I thought about one thing, and it's a horrible idea because I seem <laughs> to lose all my bets with you. I thought about an earring. Oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah. It's a really on, terrible man. way to go, right? Who bets something as extreme as an earring when they're going against Tom Brady? Um, but I want to dwell on that a little bit, and I'd love to get some suggestions from the fans on what our bet should be because – Oh you know, I'm, I'm trying to run a pretty prestigious company here. Me walking in here with an <laughs> earring is going to be a real dent in my brand. Brian, how about a, a, a hoop, a hoop earring? I want like a pirate. They just count. No, I would be I great. If we're going to do it, it's got to be the 80s hanging cross. Like we're going lost <laughs> style. The feather, the long feather, like Mr. T. Yes. I, I love it. I actually think it's a great, a great idea. <laughs> 
I think we should have to get both ears pierced and keep them in for two weeks. Uh, I can't. You, you know, Craig Borsari ain't letting me wear them on TV. But I think there's something here, Brian. So we'll uh, oh, that's so we'll continue right. the discussion off the air. But you brought a lot to the table here today. I think this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna. The loser's gonna have to get his ear, ears pierced. Both oh of my them. God! So. I shouldn't open my mouth. <laughs> Hey, uh, thank you for the time, man, and, and, and for you and everybody else in, in Philadelphia Eagles land. Congratulations, and uh, we wish you all the best against TB12 in two weeks, buddy. Have a good week, all right? I appreciate it, guys. Have a great one. Thanks, Dan. You know, that was amazing. there are that a lot intro. of different ways you can go, Kenny, with uh, with these Super Bowl bets and other bets. You know, he yeah. and I had a bet on the Holly Holm betch Cohea fight, right? Mm-hmm. I said Holly would get the finish. He said it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And I think he was supposed to, like, grow a mustache for a month. He didn't even make good on that one. Yeah. But – I think loser gets their ears pierced and has to rock them out for a couple weeks is a good bet. I, that's a solid bet. I, I'm first of all, I'm impressed that he actually went that route. That he he went that yeah. far. Uh, that, that's right. a lot. There's a lot on the line here, John. I, I I like it, man. But if you have like right. a little like a little stud that you can barely see, I mean, I think you could pull it off. Myself, yeah, I think that's good stuff. Yeah. All right, good yeah. stuff there from. Uh, from Brian Stan today. All right, give me 60 seconds to tell you about Mattress Firm, if you would. Everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. So does Mattress Firm, except it's your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. It's a true home run, and you'll have a ball. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, they are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, a knockout, if you will. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. All right, now time to spin it forward to Charlotte, North Carolina. Let's make some picks. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florida. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, first, we will update the standings. As many of you know, Team Anik prioritized getting off to a good start here in 2018. We're not fucking around, Ken Flo. You went head-to-head to, head to head with uh, with OddsShark.com's Justin Hartling. So you both hit on Cormier, both hit on Volante, both missed on Nganu and Almeida. Uh, Justin did come through, though, with, with his underdog pick on Calvin Cater at, at plus 185. So Team Anik takes the week 4-2. Uh, precisely the start we're looking for, Ken. So uh, yeah, I know you've, you've erased deficits uh, in the past. So, But uh, 4-2 Team Anik and with us to make picks today, representing Julio Jacobo and the Weed Zillions there in Southern California. Paul O'Neill is with us. Paulie, can I call you Paulie? You can call me whatever you like at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that our, picture. But, oh, that's that's <laughs> how are you doing today, gentlemen? We are doing well. Our listeners, unfortunately, couldn't see that picture of you mm-hmm. holding a cat and a number of oh, other different that, things. But that uh, is it's shame. good to have you with us Crying as shame. we get to these predictions for Fox UFC Fight Night in Charlotte. By the way, I know you and Julio Jacobo, I guess, are friends for many of our listeners who go back to our first year. Julio was on the show a lot. 
you know, breaking our stones and making picks. But he had some health issues. How is Julio doing, Paul? Julio, uh, unfortunately, had a lot of really serious complications to his surgery, and uh, I can, I'm pleased to report that he's making a lot of really great recovery. Um, last I heard a couple weeks ago, he was hanging out with my friend Xavier, uh, a fellow weed zillion. Uh, so, you know, he's staying in with the, uh, the crew, and he's doing a lot better. All right, well, please uh, send him our best, if you would. Um, we will get well, to the I'm picks sure now. The main there. card, Ken Flo, main card, Big Fox features your boy Jordan Rinaldi, huh? Yes, Rinaldi. I trained with him in uh, at 50-50 at Ryan Hall's place. Uh, good kid, man, hard worker. Um, he's got a tough fight ahead of him, but uh, I think it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I was going to say they're not doing him any fucking favors here. He's a plus 375 underdog against Gregor Gillespie. Gillespie sitting as a minus 550 favorite, largely because he is 10-0 overall, 3-0 in the UFC. Uh, He's finished his last two wins and eight of his 10 wins overall. On the other side, you have Rinaldi, 13-5, submitted Alvaro Herrera with a Von Flu in his last fight. That was in August. Paul, which way are you going here, Gillespie or Rinaldi? Well, you know, I think it's going to be a really great fight, but I'm just going to have to go with uh, Gillespie here. You know, he's he showed a lot of heart in his last fight against uh, Jason Gonzalez. That was a real barn burner. But before that, he's just been tearing guys apart. And I feel like, you know, Jordan Rinaldi's going to put up a great fight. I feel like it's going to be a great showing. But uh, ultimately, I have Gregor Gillespie winning. Kenny, Gregor Gillespie... <clears throat> has really been great in the UFC, and I think he's a guy that a lot of people fancy a future contender. Uh, he is a problem. That is why the betting betting line is what it is. But in our scoring system, you pick Jordan Rinaldi, and he wins, you get four points. You know the guy. You've trained with the guy. Does that entice you at all? Um, you know, this is a tough matchup uh, for Rinaldi, he, who also has a, a decent wrestling background, but certainly not at the level of a Gregor Gillespie. Uh, Gillespie is a monster of a wrestler, also can really crack as well, has power in both of his hands. Uh, I'm a little concerned uh, for Jordan in this fight, but you know what? Gillespie, he, he gets a little reckless sometimes. He, he showed that recklessness a little bit in his last fight, still got the win. But uh, I'm going to stick with my guy, Jordan Rinaldi. I, I think yeah. he pulls off an upset win, man, and I think he gives me four points. How's that? Well, that's the thing, man, right? It's like I'm not in this contest, right? I send representatives out there for me. But to me, it's like you get one, you know, you this early in the year, right? When you have underdogs at that price, the way our scoring system works, uh, a flyer, you do a lot worse than a flyer on Jordan yeah. Rinaldi. All right, co-main event, guys. So Dennis Bermudez has dropped two fights in a row now because of that. He's only a minus 155 favorite against the unranked Andre Feely. Feely's been up and down a little bit, but when he's on, he's very good. Looked quite good, I thought, against Artem Lobov his last time out in October. So co-main event here, Bermudez and Feely. Paulie, which way are you going? Well, like you mentioned, Andre Feely's coming off a win against the greatest of all time against Artem Lobov. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a matter of uh, who shows up. Um, you know, both guys are really, you know, kind of struggling to find a level of consistency. Um, I think that, you know, uh, Feely's got a really large reach advantage over Dennis Bermudez, and I think that's going to be hard for Dennis to cover. Uh, I've got uh, uh, Feely by this. All right, Paulie goes with Andre Feely. Dennis Bermudez, Kenny, 
when he's been in big spots before the Ricardo Lamas fight, the main event against the Korean Zombie, the recent fight against Darren Elkins, he, he's come up short. He's also had a lot of big moments, but another showcase spot for him here. This is a fight on paper that many people believe he should win, and if he's ever going to get to that title fight, this is one he's got to have. The question is, in your mind, uh, does Dennis Bermudez get it this weekend? Um, this is a tricky one, man. Uh, Andre Philly is very good. Uh, he has uh, a, a very good skill set right now, has n some nice momentum where Dennis Bermudez does not really have a whole lot of momentum right now. However, Philly isn't a, a better wrestler than Bermudez, and I don't think he hits harder uh, than Bermudez. He's not that guy who's got one uh, one-punch knockout power or anything like that. I'm going to go with Bermudez. I think he gets it done by decision. All right, then in the main event on Fox this weekend, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, Jacare Souza minus 165, Derek Brunson plus 135. This is a rematch of a fight in 2012. That fight lasted 41 seconds. Jacare knocked Derek Brunson out quickly. Both of these guys are totally different fighters, both much improved strikers. Derek Brunson, I would submit, is a completely different guy than he was for the first meeting. Um, and this is a main event, obviously, so we will need the round and the method of victory. Paul, who gets it done on Big Fox this weekend, Jacare Souza or DB Derek Brunson? Yeah, well, you 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 said it. He's a totally different fighter uh, in Derek Brunson. Um, I'm excited as hell for all uh, for this rematch. Um, I think that uh, you know it's a good matchup against uh, Jacare. You know, he suffered against. Uh, uh, Robert Whitaker, who was a good striker. I think Derek Brunson's striking has improved tremendously, and he has a very solid wrestling, uh, wrestling game that he's shown against guys like uh, uh, Yoel Romero and things like that. But unfortunately, I think I'm going to have to go with Jacare Souza in round number two by submission, just given the fact that he's so accomplished on the ground. Yeah, Jacare is somewhat of the forgotten man after that Whitaker fight, but yeah. still a guy who I think at one yeah. point is going to challenge for that UFC title. Jacare by submission round two for Paul. Kenny, your thoughts on the main event here coming up in Charlotte? Yeah, and, and here's the thing. You know, people forget Jacare Souza uh, was heading into that fight against Robert Whitaker with a, with a torn uh, pec. So um, that, that mm -hmm. was uh, something that was very tough to deal with. Uh, I've been a huge Jacare Souza fan. Uh, for a long time. I've seen him compete since he was a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He was a beast back then. He's a beast now. He recently moved to Orlando, and, and I don't know what his training is like. That kind of concerns me a little bit. Um, Derek Brunson is very motivated heading in this fight. I think he has the wrestling skills to stop those takedowns of uh, Jacare Souza. Um, I, I think he's maybe a, a little bit more dangerous on the feet. Uh, Jacare can crack as well, but I think Brunson is feeling it right now when it comes to his striking game. I think he's going to fight smart here, and he absolutely should. I'm going to go with Brunson. I think Brunson gets it done. Um, I, it's rare that I ever pick a, against Jacare, um, but uh, I think DB and his momentum and his striking is going to be the difference here. And the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community is going to be all over oh, yeah. Flow if Oh, yeah. It's I'm the interwebs. Get... Uh, you got a method and a round for uh, for Derek Brunson? Let's go with third round TKO. Third round TKO Ooh. for Derek Brunson. And I would also say Derek Brunson has, has really found a comfort zone 
when it comes to his training, right? He stays in North Carolina, doesn't go to Albuquerque, New Mexico anymore, but Greg Jackson and the crew still does corner him at times. I don't know if they (laughs) did in their last fight, but this guy knows exactly what he needs to do um, as motivated an athlete as anyone out there. So I'm excited to see this main event this weekend on Fox. Finally, Paul, quick pick, no analysis needed. Drew Dober, minus 175 against the plus 145 underdog, Frank Camacho. Who will it be? Uh, you know what? I think I'm going to just flat out go with Frank Camacho on this one. Uh, it's an exciting fight, but I think it's going with Camacho. All right, he takes the underdog. Ken Flo, Dober, Camacho, who's the pick to click? Um, geez, I'm gonna, I'll go with Dober here. I think he gets it done. All right. All right, that does it for the Charlotte picks. Paulie O'Neill, kid, drop the cat, man. That's a crazy photo. Hey, hey. I'm going to go pick up that cat. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Hey, thanks for the time. All the best to you, to Julio, the Weedzillians. Thank you for uh, for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. And we'd like to uh, invite you to join the Weedzillians gang. Uh, It's like a gang initiation, but we just get you higher than you're more comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll see next time in California. Kenny will be over this afternoon, and we'll see. We'll we'll (laughs) make it happen. You're the man, Paul. Have a good week. Hey, have a good day, guys. I didn't know we had to be initiated. I thought we were we were already in. Yeah, little uh, do they know you'll go over there and smoke them under the table. They have no idea. I might. I just might. Yeah. You just never know. <laughs> the lungs are feeling pretty good today on a Monday. You never know. All right, we got to get the hell out of here before we get in any more trouble. Thank you to our guests, Brian Stan, Calvin Cater, Ray Longo, Paul O'Neill on the picks. Uh, next week, we will do a little bit of Super Bowl stuff off the top of the show. I know this is not an NFL podcast, but Paul Felder, is going to join us. Um, We'll talk a little bit, obviously, about the Brazil show, the Charlotte show. Kenny's going to give you picks on UFC Fight Night, Machida versus Anders, uh, and everything else that we can think of. Uh, Until then, for the flow, for the whole Fox crew, uh, John Anik here saying thank you all for listening. Until next Monday, two final words. Yo, later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.